You're right in D.C. with Gail Trotter. This is Gail Trotter, host of Right in D.C. Today, our guest is Adam Angievsky. Adam is the CEO and founder of Open the Books. Thank you, Adam, so much for joining us today. Well, Gail, great to be on the program. Thank you very much for pronouncing my last name correctly. I might just be the only Angievsky in Washington, D.C. <laughs> well, I so appreciated you putting a phonetic pronunciation guide for your name because then that made it really easy. And then that makes me feel like a superstar for pronouncing your name correctly. So thank you so much for giving me credit and thank you for giving me the crib notes so that I would pass the test. (laughs) (laughs) It's great to be on your program and thank you very much for your interest in our work. Adam and I have not met in person before, but I know one of his uh, teammates, Matthew, and Matthew was so kind to put this uh, discussion together. I am a huge fan and proponent of higher education. I think it is a critical uh, stepping stone to lifelong learning. It's an opportunity to expand horizons. It's the ability to acquire skills that will last for your entire lifetime. Certainly my experience in higher education, I formed some of my very closest friends, not only my colleagues who were also studying at the same time, but professors that made uh, such strong impressions on me. And I think it's such a part of the American dream for parents to want to make sure that they give their kids more opportunities. For some parents, that means making sure that their kids go to a good high school and get the opportunities for learning there. For other parents, it's making sure their kids go to trade school. For a lot of parents, it's trying to make sure that their kids have the opportunity to go to community college and perhaps a four-year degree down the road. And certainly, there are many parents who want their kids to go to college and have the ability not only to have this learning opportunity, but also to make sure that they're self-supporting, not living in their basements, and that they have the ability to support their own families someday. Adam and his organization, Open the Books, did this report on colleges because I believe as a, you know, educated person myself, I have kids in college, I went to college, I went to law school too, There's so much information in this report that Americans don't know about the higher education system that they need to know. And Adam, I'd like you to jump in here and just give us a little idea why your organization decided to investigate higher education. So the mission of OpenTheBooks.com is is a straight-up transparency and accountability oversight mission. First, we capture government spending. So our tagline slogan is every dime online in real time. And Gail, last year to that end, we filed 60,000 Freedom of Information Act requests on the most substantial public bodies in this entire country. Uh, Then what we do is on that open data, we take a look at it. We give it oversight. And every single month uh, this year, we give oversight to a tranche of federal data. This month, it was time for the United States Department of Education to receive our scrutiny, and uh, henceforth, we came out with this oversight report that's making national news. And I appreciate the platform on your program to discuss it. People are rightfully angry about the cheating scandal where wealthy and well-connected parents you know, cheated their kids on the admission systems 
into elite universities, we think, and we're going to make the argument on your podcast today, we think there's a bigger scandal, though. The real scandal in higher education is the cost of higher education, and our findings show just why it costs so much to go to college nowadays. Adam, just to push back a little bit, you know that education is one of the core responsibilities of a community. And through the history of our nation, even including uh, President Thomas Jefferson, who founded the University of Virginia as a public university, there's been this understanding that democracies and republics need educated and informed citizens, not only so that they can be productive members of society, but also so that they can be informed voters. And if the self-government project is going to work, then citizens have to have an understanding of how to think logically, how to question assumptions, how to analyze information, and how to act on that information. Isn't that part of why we as a society have decided to provide subsidies for students who want to be able to get educated so they can be productive members of society and they can be informed voters? Well, okay, I, I think you lay out the principle. I think you lay out the public purpose argument uh, uh, very succinctly. There's a lot of public good in providing for the general welfare and education of the populace. I'm a beneficiary of that. I I actually grew up at or near the federal poverty markers in a small town of 1,200 people and, in in, you know, outside of the, the old boys network in a farming community. And I, because of uh, public uh, student aid, I was able to go to a state school, graduate, and I've repaid those uh, loans and that investment into me by hiring hundreds of employees over the course of my life and paying millions of dollars worth of taxes. Uh, Specific to the situation that we're talking about now in higher education, I think with these wealthy and elite schools that actually don't need federal taxpayer assistance to provide for every single one of their undergraduates. For example, the Ivy League colleges have $120 billion collectively, the eight schools, in their endowments. That's money in the bank. We did some analysis, and that's the equivalent amount of money to be able to provide provide free college tuition for every single undergraduate student for the next 51 years. So the community, you're exactly right, can provide, is providing. What, uh, what we make the point is these wealthy schools, they don't need the taxpayer assistance. They should do this on their own. They have the network and the wherewithal to be able to do it. But aren't the wealthiest schools giving us the leaders? that help to determine the course of our progress. I'm thinking specifically as a lawyer of our Supreme Court. Every single one of the nine justices on the Supreme Court attended one of the wealthiest colleges or graduate schools that you're talking about. So aren't these wealthiest colleges doing a service to the nation that's beyond what other colleges perhaps are doing? And shouldn't they be rewarded for that? So they're, they're organized as public charities. These are uh, 501c3 uh, educational public charities. And when you're a public charity, you have an infinite set of beneficiaries. And do they provide uh, great leadership for the country? Yes. Now, the question becomes as to whether working class and middle class taxpayers, most of which who never went to school, uh, to college, uh, you know, some of which, uh, you know, they're, what is the public purpose argument for those folks 
to fund these wealthy and elite schools. And I, I don't think there is a public pur purpose argument. They can pay their own way. Furthermore, what has happened within the higher education complex is that all this massive public sub su subsidy of higher ed, all with good intentions to make college affordable, has actually made college more expensive. For example, uh, on the other end of the spectrum, not the Ivy League, but your colleges of cosmetology. Uh, there's so much public aid flowing to these beauty schools. It's a 35-week program. Some of these schools, like Empire Beauty Schools, they're the largest chain. Over the course of the last four years, they received 70, they received over a half million, a half billion dollars, 500 million dollars worth of federal student aid, and they now charge $28,000 for their 35 to 40 week program where you graduate with a license to cut hair, manicure nails, and do massage therapy. So the outrage about this, obviously we're, we're not upset that we are providing trade information to people who are not interested in going to four-year colleges or they don't, they don't have the skill set to be able to go do that. Uh, certainly, there is a strong tradition of vocational training in the United States. So is there, is there outrage about this because they're charging at the level of a um, uh, you know, four-year college? I forget which ones you mentioned it was equivalent to. But is that the outrage that they have, that tuition prices have gone up so much that that really hampers these students if they graduate from these, uh, you know, like a beauty school, for example, that they're really not going to have much ability to recoup the, that cost over the course of their career. So I think the, the colleges of cosmetology, these beauty schools, it's a great example of how so much public money in the system has actually driven up the price of an education. Uh, look, at, at 22000 in the Chicago market for Empire Beauty Centers, 28000 in other markets, as the Washington Times found, um, that's, that is just a, the only reason they can charge that much money, saddle these students with so much debt, force them to pay so much for a short, less than one year uh, tuition program is because of the public assistance. We found uh, many other schools. For instance, there's a uh, drama and arts academy based in Los Angeles in New York. Uh, they charge tuition of between $38,000 and $48,000 a year. Uh, over the wow. course of the last four years, taxpayers have put in $75 million of student financial aid into that uh, school. The school admits that their average graduate, when they come out, makes $28,000 a year. Look, it's not a market and 20, system. And that's $38,000 a year in tuition. That's not whatever it costs them to live, to eat, to get to school, to buy their books or whatever. That's that's just tuition, you're saying. Right. Tuition and fees of between $38,000 and $48,000 a year. Their graduates come out. They make, on average, $28,000. Now, in beauty schools, um, we took a look at uh, U.S. Department of Labor statistics. The average graduate of a beauty school, by the time they hit age 30, they have average earnings of $19,000. So it is wow. a it is a scam in higher ed where the sheer amount of public money in the system now is having the pernicious effect of actually driving up tuition rates. You know, we're uh, Gail, we're based in Illinois. It is the Super Bowl of corruption. And we've seen a lot of these different uh, schemes in the past. And 
I will make the argument to you that higher ed in America today is a legalized money laundering scheme. It's all legal, and that is actually the scandal. Well, and it's interesting, too, in your uh, article that you wrote in Forbes, which I will link to on the website post for this interview, you talk about how students frequently don't even understand that when they have signed up for loans that they have to pay them back because it's, I would say, sort of deceptive language because when they're given money, it's called an award. They don't have it um, necessarily. I mean, I'm sure there are federal disclosures over what they, what information they have to give the students. But if you call something an award, don't you think the reasonable inference from that is that you wouldn't have to pay it back? Well, I, I agree with you. I think there has to be truth in lending for these colleges and universities. Um, it's pretty, uh, pretty amazing. Brookings Institution did a study uh, recently, and they found that 28% of all undergraduate students that have racked up student loans don't even know they have to pay the money back because the college wasn't transparent. They call these student loans, which you have to pay back, awards. And that sounds like a grant that you don't need to repay. Now, here's another statistic we found, and we find this very, very troubling. The Department of Education admits that in 2018, on the entire lending portfolio of about $100 billion worth of student loans, that, that roughly one out of every four of those loans, at some point, will go belly up. The student will default on one out of every four of those loans. The department also admits that just right off the bat when the loan is made at the low interest rates because these are government loans, henceforth subsidized by taxpayers, the taxpayers lose off the top 17% of every loan by subsidizing these things at low rates. So we lost last year $17 billion on, uh, on just providing the loans and then we'll lose over the course of the lifetime of those loans, one out of every four. And incredibly, 28% of the kids that get the loans last year don't even know they have a loan. That sounds like a system that is designed to uh, have no accountability. And that's exactly what your organization is trying to uh, make people aware of so that they have the information about this. You also talk about these other non-traditional schools. And I was surprised to learn that you can get federal subsidies to go to a school where you learn gambling and bartending. And there's also another college, uh, non-traditional college called the Professional Golfers Career College. Could you tell us a little bit about that? So who knew? Who knew that you and I and everybody else, the taxpayers, were subsidizing these non-traditional schools? So you've got the Professional Golfers College. They've got campuses in California and South Carolina. Uh, over the course of the past four years, <laughs> taxpayers put $5 million on student uh, tuition and aid into the into the into that professional golfers college now gail it sounds like a fun school they actually make the claim that they're the only college in america where you can golf seven days a week <laughs> we That's uh we found jump change five million dollars and those are nice locations too <laughs> and uh and ten million dollars went into the school that you referenced down in new orleans and students there learn bartending and gambling and that begs the question, do you want your tax dollar shaken or stirred? <laughs> well, 
Well, I, I think um, definitely I'd pick Shaken, but uh, <laughs> certainly we are we getting our money out of that investment of tax dollars. I also want to talk with you a little bit about accountability in terms of what the what the uh, junior co- community colleges are producing. You did a little bit of research on the 50 worst performing junior colleges. Can you tell us a little bit about that? So Wallet Hub, we piggybacked off a Wallet Hub study. Wallet Hub uh, ranked the 50 worst performing, according to their criteria, junior colleges across the country. So then what we did is we mashed that list up with uh, the federal uh, disclosures, and we found that taxpayers last year put nearly $1 billion into those underperforming and failing schools. So look, we need to tighten accreditation standards. We need to demand performance. If you're going to get taxpayer money, there has to be some metric of future outcome that's positive for the good of the country. So the average graduation rate of those 50 worst performing junior colleges was 12%, and yet they're getting $1 billion in taxpayer subsidies. Would that work in the private market? Would (laughs) companies that have that little bit of, uh, I wouldn't even call it success, but uh, performance, would they be you know, getting investors to continue to plow $1 billion into their, uh, into their system and their organization. Not on God's green earth, right? So, <laughs> so, so look, here, here is another area that would, where this, where, uh, where, where this occurrence would never happen in the private sector. The uh, United States Department of Education admits to over the course of the last two years, they overpaid to the tune of $11 billion federal student loans and Pell Grants. It's a stunning number. And they forecast the results uh, here in 2019 are actually going to get worse. This is a nonpartisan reform. I don't care if you're a Democrat, independent, Republican, libertarian, progressive, everybody should agree that 4% of all student loans that were overpaid over the course of the last two years, and 8% of all Pell Grants, and that doesn't have to be paid back, that were overpaid over the course of the last two years, all of that should be stopped. Those improper payments immediately, basic in-house financial accounting controls should be instituted over at the Department of Ed to stop the billions of dollars going out the door on an improper basis. So explain that a little more for those like me who are not familiar with the mechanism of this. So when you say that are $11 billion in overpayments to students on loans and grants, that means the federal government is paying the students directly based on faulty information or mistakes. And are you saying that that $11 billion, which is not something that anyone is entitled to. It's coming straight out of the treasury from taxpayers. It's not going to be recouped. It's just gone permanently. Well, it's a great question. So the Office of Management and Budget, they say if you're a federal contractor and if you are overpaid, they'll claw it back. But they make the argument that payments to individuals, whether it's uh, Social Security payments to dead individuals, whether it's Medicaid and Medicare uh, payments to doctors who have lost their licenses, uh, you know, whether it's one out of every four dollars, the IRS, the Internal Revenue Service paid out last year on uh, on faulty earned income tax payments. All of those payments to individuals 
OMB makes the argument it costs too much to go back and audit and claw back the payments. So as far as we know, uh, if you're a student and if you were overpaid your Pell Grant and roughly one out of every $12 paid out of Pell Grants last year was overpaid, you're out the door, you got to keep the money. I mean, even in when we're talking about government dollars, because, you know, the federal budget is so vast, even given that perspective, $11 billion is an eye-popping amount. So, Gail, over the course since uh, 2004, the 20 largest federal agencies admit to $1.2 trillion of improper payments. So the Department of wow. Education, you know, they're a part of that. Uh, half of the improper payments flowed through two programs, Medicare, Medicare and Medicaid. It's a huge problem in every agency. This problem spans Democrat and Republican administrations. Uh, in many respects, Education Secretary Betsy DeVos is a pioneer on education reform, but I know she's very troubled by these improper payments. We've given it a big highlight, and hopefully Congress and the department can start to crack down. So glad you made the point that this is a nonpartisan problem because, as you mentioned, this has been going on under Democratic administrations and Republican administrations. And you reached out to Secretary DeVos and asked her what she thought about this. And like you just said, she, her response, her, her uh, spokesperson's response was, improper payments are of deep concern to the secretary, and she has been actively wor working with Congress on legislative fixes that could help prevent them. And I think it shows the overarching problem when you have these huge government programs, there has to be accountability, and it's very difficult to do it at the level when you know you're spending other people's money essentially and and that's something that uh either political party is going to have problems with but it shows you what a boondoggle higher education in america has become through all this public money it has driven up the cost of tuition the cost of a college education uh and now student debt exceeds uh, credit card debt student debt at 1.7 trillion dollars a year also exceeds the sheer amount of auto loans in the in the uh, in the marketplace uh, you've got the colleges now the wealthy schools charging between 40,000 and 70,000 a year to capture as much federal subsidy as they possibly can while they've got hundreds of billions of dollars in their own bank accounts you've also got 43,000 employees of higher education colleges and universities across the country who are highly compensated and our definition of highly compensated is they made more than two hundred thousand dollars last year uh you've Wait, got repeat just, that repeat repeat those numbers again because i think everyone really needs to focus on this so exceeding uh, cash compensation of 200 grand, which is a lot of money in any city, in any market, all across this country. $200,000 worth of cash compensation, salary, and bonus. There's 43,000 employees 43, in America's. 43,000. That's just it, astonishing. In America's public universities that exceeded annual income of 200 grand. And that doesn't, in, that doesn't include, Gail the cost of their benefit package. So you've got to goose that number up by about a third uh, to get total taxpayer cost. Well, I think I agree with Tucker Carlson that I went into the wrong industry. I should have gone into higher education. <laughs> well, specific, uh, Gail, specific, 
specific to the Ivy League, that's where the real sweet spot is. Um, so you've got 140, you've got 147 uh, employees of the Ivy League that they've disclosed make more than $400,000 a year. You've got 47 wow. of those employees that made more than a million dollars a year. And over the course of the last five years, you've actually got five employees of the Ivy League that cleaned off total salary apiece of over $20 million. So five employees over five years in these the highest uh, echelon universities made $20 million, each of a those five people. A you piece. have 40, yes, yes. I mean, just stop for a moment and think about that. And well, then they've 47 gained, made $1 million. They've gained the system for personal gain. And that's in contrast, in pretty stark contrast to uh, this part in your Forbes article where you say since 1980, tuition has increased 6.5 times the rate of income growth, and it's currently outpacing increases in other cost areas like housing, food, and healthcare. And I think this probably encapsulates your entire report. It's that student aid was supposed to make college affordable again, but is simply going to to straight to the educational institutions that continue to increase tuition. So I think it's very important after we get this information to think about, well, how can we fix this? Do you, have you thought through any of these possible solutions to tackle this? I mean, obviously accountability is something that needs to be focused on, but are there any other uh, possibilities to fix these problems? So, Gail, thanks for asking. I think there's three bipartisan reforms that should have legs to to help, you know, to help at this moment, this reform moment. Here's the first one. Those wealthy schools, those Ivy League colleges, the Notre Dames, the Stanfords, the USC's, the University of Michigan, they, uh, they need to lighten the load of the American taxpayer and start using some of those endowment funds to defray and hold down and make themselves affordable for undergraduate students to lighten the load on the American taxpayer. Uh, look, all the way back to 2008 on a bipartisan basis, uh, Iowa U.S. Senator Chuck Grassley partnering with uh, colleagues uh, in the Democratic Party in the in the United States Senate, they made the argument back in 2008 that the Ivy League should start using their endowment to uh, defray tuition costs. Not enough has been done in this area. Uh, the second reform is to stop those improper payments. I mean that that should be done yesterday. Over two years, as we talked about on the podcast, it's eleven billion dollars, and so it's a material amount of money. Uh, and the third reform that should be that should be instituted is to tighten accreditation on underperforming and failing schools to uh, to be able to take away the the taxpayer dollars that are being wasted at these schools where students aren't graduating and the sheer amount of taxpayer loans is building up and that will create hardship on those students and their families for decades. And what is the purpose of higher education? How, how, how do you see this, this uh, information in light of the philosophy of why, why people choose to invest their time and their scarce resources in pursuing higher education? So I, I think that, you know, you need in today's uh, very complex economy, you need, you need as much education as you possibly can. Uh, and 
So what we're talking about is the mechanism on how to create the soft social safety net to be able to help students who need the help from, from public taxpayer resources. And, uh, and right now, what we see is that the, the program of good intentions, the wealthy country here that we have in America, dedicated to education, um, has provided so much resource, public funding into the vertical that it's actually causing harm uh, in many respects. Adam, thank you so much for joining us and telling us about this important report that Open the Books has researched and put out there in the public domain. Where can people find you online? So just come to our website at openthebooks.com. And then, uh, you know, you can, there's a lot to research on our site. So you can search 22 million public employee salary and pension records. You could take a look in our report section of about 20 oversight reports that we have done over the course of the past four years. Um, each one of these reports has been broken on the front page or editorial page of a major American newspaper like the Wall Street Journal or on broadcast television or on uh, major national uh, cable television like Fox News or CNN. Adam, I hope you will keep us up to date on any new reports that you have coming out and you'll come back and join us again. Gail, thank you so much for having me on your program. I really appreciate the platform here that you've created to help get the word out on such important data that will hopefully influence uh, public policy decisions in Congress and federal agencies. This is Gail Trotter. You can like me on Facebook. You can follow me on Twitter. You can follow me on Instagram. Please subscribe to my YouTube channel. You can subscribe to this podcast right in D.C. on iTunes, and you can leave a review. Most importantly, you can support this podcast on Patreon. We have great T-shirts as gifts for patrons, courtesy of Hard Hits Custom Apparel. We would also like to thank Trio Caliente, a local D.C. group for the music on these podcasts. This is Right in D.C. You're Right in D.C. with Gail Trotter.